Hey everyone, good morning, come and grab your seat. If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart, I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you today, particularly if it is your first time amongst us. If you've got a Bible, could you go to 1 Kings chapter 18 in the Old Testament? We'll be picking up there where we left off last time. But before we get into that, I want to talk a bit about the well-being journey, which we've been started as a church. We're going through all together in our life groups. Um, this week, we've just completed week one in the book. And we've given the book out to everyone, and those in life groups have been going through it, and they've had uh, the videos that you've watched in your life group. This week was the second video, which was the well-being mindset, which we had a great time in my life group. There were, I think there were eight people there in the group, and then we had three Zoom in, so we had a bit of a hybrid meeting. Um, but we had a brilliant time talking about well-being mindset and how we can change um, our well-being on that. Now, the good news is, if you're new and you think, oh, what's going on, I want to get involved, this week is actually a catch-up week. So we're not doing any reading this week because we've got the prayer meeting on Tuesday. So there's no life groups this week. So there's an opportunity to catch up. So if you're a couple of days behind or you haven't even started, that's fine. Because you can start tomorrow morning, Monday, read all seven days. By next Sunday, be back here, and you'll have completed the first week, and you'll be in the same place as everyone else. We've got a few more books we haven't managed to give out, so if you want one, please come and grab one. This week, I don't know if you've been doing week one. Anyone been doing week one with me? I found it really helpful and challenging at the same time. I've been writing stuff down in the back of my book where you've got to put your notes I've been reading the bit in the appendix every day about who I am in Christ to remind myself. I wrote down my list of things I can control and things I can't control, which was sobering, and how often I spend about thinking about things I can't actually control and the anxiety that brings and trying to focus on what I can control and do something with. Um, so I hope it's been a productive week. If you have missed it, just jump in with what we're doing and let God uh, speak to you through this time, transform you, change you. So that's the well-being course, well-being journey that we're doing. If you haven't got a book, come and grab one here. If they run out, come and talk to me and we'll get one ordered for you and delivered to your house. Next thing I want to do is just offer a quick um, book recommendation. I've recommended a couple of books. This one, this is one of my favorite out of the ones we've recommended because this book is all about Jesus. And I like books all about Jesus and that point to Jesus and that talk about Jesus. And it's called Gentle and Lowly. It's by a guy named Dane Ortland, who is an American pastor, theologian, character. And he's written a book and it's all about the heart of Jesus Christ and his heart for those who are sinners and those who are suffering, which basically is everybody and how much he loves them, and what he's for them. And I read this during lockdown, and I found it incredible. And for some reason, the Lord prompted me, and I started rereading it. I'm now halfway through it again. I'm on about chapter 11, I think. I read sort of one a day. And it's absolutely fantastic. It reminded me of the love of God uh, for people like me, uh, who find life difficult and struggle in places. And I've just read the chapter on Christ's intercession for us, and then I read the following chapter on Christ's advocacy for us. And I don't know if you know there was a difference between those two. It is enlightening, illuminating, and it did my heart and my soul good. So I've got three copies here. If you'd like a copy, please come and grab one. If we run out, come and talk to me, and I'll get one ordered to you. But there you go. There's a copy there um, of Gentle and Lowly, all about Jesus. If you want one, come and talk to me. Right, let's get on with the sermon series. Um, Elijah, we've been looking um, at the life of Elijah and we've been running this alongside what we're doing in life groups because the well-being course looks a lot at Elijah and what he's been doing and I just want to give you a catch up on the story so far. If you've missed it, I'll do this briefly. We, if you have missed the sermons, just go online and download them and you can kind of catch up in more detail what we're doing. So if we go in the book of 1 Kings, you're in chapter 18, let's give a quick recap of what's happened. Beginning of um, 1 Kings, um, we find the kingdom of Israel. God has brought them into the land that he promised to Abraham. 
way back and under Joshua, they've established they've had a king, David being the greatest king in Israel's history. He was the mighty warrior, the man after God's own heart. Then he had a son named Solomon. One king's kind of does, deals with the reign of Solomon. He was the wisest man ever lived outside Jesus because God came to him and said, what do you want, Solomon? And he said, I want wisdom to lead your people because I really don't know what I'm doing. And God blessed him massively and the kingdom of Israel grew in prosperity and wealth and it was like a golden age of Israel. So everything was going well. However, as always with the people of God, things take a turn for the worst and he ends up marrying foreign women, 700 of them to be precise, and they turn his heart away from the Lord and he ends up worshipping foreign gods and foreign idols and the Lord is displeased with that because the Lord has warned them you don't do that. He then has a son named Rehoboam who grows up, and he is harsh and cruel. So he runs the kingdom of Israel and does not do a good job. As a result, there's a rebellion. A guy named Jeroboam. You've got Rehoboam and Jeroboam. They don't help you with these names in the Bible. But Jeroboam has a rebellion against the king and says, nope, we're not having it. You're harsh and cruel. And the kingdom splits in two. And we have the northern kingdom that is called Israel and the southern kingdom that is called Judah. And as you trace through one kings, you see the story of these two kingdoms. And the southern kingdom of Judah is the one based in Jerusalem, which has the temple, the worship of God, the line of David, the line of kings. And so that one kind of has a series of kings who are some good, some okay, some bad, but that trundles on. But in the north, they set up false worship to counter the worship in Jerusalem because the kings, they say, we don't want you going to Jerusalem. We'll set up some false worship. And they have a series of kings that are all just bad. Bad, bad, bad. And some are worse than others, but they just go bad and bad. And we looked that in uh, the first week, we got to chapter 16, and we found out the king at the time was a guy named Ahab, king of Israel, and he was the worst yet. That he's actually described that in the Bible. Of all the kings that had come before were bad, this guy's even worse. And not only was he bad, he had a wife who was also bad, Jezebel, who was a foreigner and brought in these worship of foreign gods, particularly Baal, who was this god of the storm, the rain, fertility, and it had in his worship was child sacrifice, ritual prostitution, nasty stuff, and that all came into Israel. So instead of the worship of the God of Israel, who'd brought them into the land, looked after them, they were worshiping these false gods. And out of nowhere comes Elijah, the prophet of God. And he comes before the king and he says, because of your sin, there's going to be drought in the land. You think you worship Baal, who's the god of the rain and the storm? Pfft, there's going to be not a drop of rain in this land. And then he disappears into obscurity. And we found that God sometimes moves us into obscurity um, as his work purposes are being worked out. And then we looked in the second week. God moved Elijah from this place of security where he'd been in the brook to another place in a foreign land called Zarephath, which was a means place of refining. And God refined him there by putting him through some trials and tests by providing for the widow there, by raising his son from the dead, incredible things. And we found out through that that God shapes us through the trials of life and difficulties we face. And it refines our faith, makes it more pure. And so this now brings us to 1 Kings 18. So if you've got your Bible, I'm going to start reading from verse 1. Big idea for today is that for it to be well with my soul, we need to understand that following the Lord can be hard. Following the Lord can be hard, but his purposes are good. His purposes are good. So it says this, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying... All right, let's just stop there. So the Lord is going to move Elijah in a moment. So Elijah is in Zarephath, which is in a foreign land, foreign to Israel. It's in the north of Israel. It is a pagan land. It is the center of the worship of Baal. It's where Jezebel, the nasty queen, came from. Her father is the king there, and he used to be a priest of Baal. So it's like Baal central, but 
Elijah has gone in there and through, we saw last week, through confrontation has basically proved the Lord stronger than this false god of Baal. But Elijah has basically been left there. And it says there, how many years? Third year. So God moved him to Zarephath and basically said, and stay there. And then said nothing to him. So Elijah has been waiting in a foreign land that was not his home for years. I worked that out. That's over a thousand days, three years. He's had to wait. Now, who thought lockdown was a long time? And the whole thing kind of was about 18 months, but the lockdowns were sort of shorter bits within it, sort of funny seasons. I don't know about you. Day three, I'd had enough. Children at home, just trying to do homeschooling. I was like, I don't drink, but I was thinking about drinking. Do you know, I was just, it, was just, it was just one of those kind of... Elijah is in a foreign land. The Lord hasn't said much recently. He basically said, go there, then kind of that was it. And he's been waiting and waiting. The Lord is silent and there is no rain. And it's just drought season. And he's just got to wait there for what, you know, what's next, Lord? And the Lord hasn't said anything, so he just stays put. And he's in there waiting for it. But then the Lord speaks and he says to him, go show yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Samaria was the capital of um, Israel. So God finally speaks. But what does he say? Go find Ahab. Who's Ahab? He's the king of Israel. Does Ahab like Elijah? No. Not at all. I think that's a mild understatement. We find out later that Ahab has been hunting Elijah. Think kind of manhunt. You know, think the fugitive. You know, Harrison Ford running out. Tommy Lee Jones is after him with all the men. They're looking for him everywhere. They're trying to find him. And God says, go back and talk to Ahab. Go and talk to Ahab. What do you think Elijah would have said? Wait, what? You want me to go where? Talk to whom? Are you sure? Isn't there another safer place you could send me? Somewhere where he's not? There aren't people trying to kill me? But what does Elijah do? He goes. He goes and he obeys the Lord because Elijah, we've seen, has a history of hearing the word of the Lord and then being obedient, swiftly obedient. He goes and does what the Lord says, even though he's going into the lion's den, so to speak. He's going to a land that has been hit by this famine and this drought. He's going to a place, where would Ahab be? He'd probably be in the capital, Samaria. And what does it say about Samaria? Well, Samaria is where it's really severe. It's bad there. And everyone knows the person who caused this problem was Elijah, because Elijah originally spoke to Ahab back at the beginning of chapter 17 and says, there's going to be no rain. And so now he's going back to present himself. This was not an easy assignment for Elijah. But he heard the word of the Lord, and he went and did what he was told. He'd been through a season of provision by God in obscurity. He'd been through a season of provision and refining by God in Zarephath. And now he's going to face Ahab on his home turf and he's going back to Israel. And the blessing of God will come with um, Elijah's obedience. And so what happens there? Let's read on. It says verse 3. And it says now that the, the scene cuts. It now goes to Ahab who um, has been mentioned that Elijah's going to finish. It says it introduced a man named Obadiah. It says, and Ahab called Obadiah who was over his household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and the water and all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. 
So they divide the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went one way, and Obadiah went in the other direction by himself. So Obadiah and this other character has been introduced. We know Ahab's bad, because we've already had him introduced in the story. Ahab comes down. What we know about Ahab, one, he is a senior court official. He's over Ahab's household. So he would have had a lot of responsibility, a lot of influence running the king's court. He was one of those sort of guys. I don't know what the official title would be, maybe a major domo or something, but he would have been running what was happening in the king's court, the food and the servants and everything there. So he was quite an influential individual. But we also find out he loves the Lord. He is a servant of the Lord. He is someone who fears the Lord. And the story also gives us some other information, that when Jezebel married the king and came into power, she said about not just bringing the worship of Baal, as this is going to be the new worship, this is the God you're going to worship, she sought to eradicate the worship of the God of Israel, the true God, by killing the prophets who were the people who spoke the word of the Lord who reminded people what God had said. He reminded them about their covenant obligations. He reminded them about the law of the Lord and how they should be living. She actually went out and did a witch hunt and tried to find them and catch them and kill them. But it says Obadiah, in that saying, said actually he took some of the prophets. He took some of those men of God and hid them. He said he hid them in caves so they could, they could survive the purge that Jezebel had brought about. And he said he provided for them. The irony here is that the king was providing for the prophets because Obadiah was over the household, so he'd have access to all the king's food. And what was there, he's making sure that the prophets were being fed by some of the king's food. So the king inadvertently is feeding these prophets, but that's all because of Obadiah. And we find the story here that the Ahab is with Obadiah and they're trying to find grass to feed the animals because they're starving because it's a drought and a famine. There's nothing in So basically they're looking around like, can we find some food? And the Ahab says, you go over there and look, I'll go over there. What we're going to do? How are we going to find this task to save uh, the animals? And then as Obadiah goes, he meets Elijah. So the next section is Elijah meets Obadiah. And we have verse 7, and it says, And Obadiah was on the way. Behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And so there's some good news here for Obadiah. Because the prophets of God represented the presence of God and the word of God. And the fact that Elijah is back in Israel for a man who fears the Lord is a good thing. It's like you're back. You've brought the presence of God back into Israel. You've been gone we don't know what's been going on. We've been waiting. It's been hard, but you're back. That's great. You hear, and he's like, he falls on his face because he recognizes this is a man of God before him, which is brilliant. But then, what does, he, what does Elijah say? Obadiah is probably on a bit of a high. Yes, you're back. This is brilliant. And what does Elijah say to him? Go back to your boss. Tell him I'm here. Pick up in verse 9. It says, and he said, and Elijah, uh, Obadiah reacts, he says, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they would not have found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. 
Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred of them by the, of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord. Behold, Elijah's here and he will kill me. And Elijah said to him, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him that day. So poor Obadiah sees Elijah, sees the, Lord, the prophet of the Lord is back. This is good. The Lord has returned to the land. Then he immediately, Elijah immediately, in Obadiah's mind, gives him a death sentence. Basically says, go and tell King Ahab, I'm back. And Obadiah has, understandably, a bit of a meltdown. Because he realizes that the Lord has kept his prophet hidden. He's been around. No one's known where he is. Ahab has sent out people, not just to the nation of Israel, but other nations looking for Elijah. He's mobilized the troops. He's called in uh, you know, the secret service and, and the spies. Go find this man. And no one has found him because the Lord has kept him hidden. And so Obadiah is in that position. Well, if, you go and t- if I go and tell Ahab, oh, Elijah's here, and then you disappear off again, which is your habit, he's going to be so stroppy because he knows his boss, got a bit of a hair trigger, and he's so wound up about catching Elijah, he's going to kill me. I'm going to get it in the neck because of you quite literally and then he pleads on his character he says wait a minute I'm a good guy I'm on your side I've followed the Lord since I was in my youth I've even saved some of the other prophets who speak the Lord of God I've hidden them I've risked my life already and now as a reward of that you're just saying go and you know throw yourself on your sword for me it was not an easy assignment for Obadiah But Elijah assures him that he is not going to do that. He is not going to run and hide. And as a result of that, Obadiah is faithful. And he goes and he returns to his master. He returns to Ahab and says what it is. And so we go to verse 16. He says, so Obadiah went. He he put out his kind of, this is how I feel about this. He got the reassurance and he faithfully went. He said, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. And so the showdown happens. This, the first one happened in the beginning of chapter 17, our first week when we looked at this, when I, uh, Elijah went to Ahab and said, no more rain. Since then, they haven't met. And all sorts of years have gone by. The famine has got severe. Drought has come. People are starving. It's not going well. Animals are dying. And now, Elijah comes back to Ahab kind of for round two. And he basically comes for him. And the first thing the king does, who must have been incensed by this time, his rage against Elijah, which have been you know, fermenting over the years, seeing his kingdom just get worse and worse because there's no rain. All the prayers to Baal go unanswered. There's nothing coming. The crops aren't growing. Things are dying. He comes out and he blames it all on Elijah. Your, this is all your fault, Elijah. And he gives him this great title, you are the troubler of Israel. Everything that's happening, all the death, all the problems economically, everything that's happening politically, all the kind of the feeling and the depression in the nation, everything is your fault. You're the one who's responsible. You've caused this. And Elijah just takes it and then turns it around and says, I am not the one who's troubled Israel. Actually, the person who is at fault is Ahab. Because Ahab is the one who brought false worship 
into the people of God. He is the one who's turned his heart away from the one true God. He's the one who's, who's turned his way from the one who rules and reigns over the land of Israel. And he fearlessly just accuses him. And he doesn't just accuse Ahab and say, it's your fault. He goes even further. He blames your father. He was called Omri. He was a bad dude as well. But it's your father's house. It's actually it's your whole line. You're all bad. My boys have started doing this thing. Well, my eldest has. When he starts going, your mama, your mama, that kind of thing. It's not just he, just, he goes around saying it, and I'm trying to talk to him about what it means. Because when he says it's me, that's, it. that's your granny, by the way, just saying when you call me your mama. But he just, he just, it's, so it's like Ahab, Elijah's gone to him and said, it's not just you, it's you and your mama. You know, he's going, he's going after the whole family. He's just blaming. So you realize, actually, that's not the smartest thing, but that's how Elijah is. He is just blaming them. He's saying, you're the problem. Of Israel, all the things you see around you, all the death, all the devastation, all the economic downturn, people out of work, you're at fault in this. I have not troubled Israel, but you have. Why? Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baal. Everything that is happening is the problem of Ahab. He is the cause of it. He's actually living out what was already said. If you go back to the beginning of 1 Kings, dedication of the temple. When the glory of God comes and Solomon prays, he says, if we abandon this covenant with you, Lord, one of the consequences of abandonment would be drought, would be famine. There's sin. So he's basically living out what the Lord has already said um, to kings prior to him. And he is living out. And so that is what Elijah accuses him. And then it says, right at the end, final verse, it says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. This is confrontation time. This is smackdown. This is showdown. So you bring your best, bring them all, you and your mates and your mama, all of them come. And he says, there's 450 prophets of Baal. That's a lot. Bring all them. And then the 400 prophets of Asherah, which was another um, god or goddess, is a bit of a confusion about exactly who this one, but that was possibly the moon god of the evening, but, but again, not great in the worship and everything else. So you've got these 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, that's 950, and they, he says at the end, they eat at Jezebel's table. So the, the, the king has been fueling this. His royal household has been fueling this false worship. He's been feeding them, or his wife's been feeding them, and there is his state-sponsored religion here. And he's basically saying, bring them all, we're going to have a showdown. And he picks a showdown, it's a place called Mount Carmel, which is a range of mountains in the north of Israel, which runs down to the Mediterranean, to the sea. That will become significant later in the story. But that's a showdown. And they believe that Mount Carmel was a significant place for the worship of God, but also for the worship of Baal. So it's almost a place where it's like the two forces come together. And on one side, you have Elijah and the Lord. On the other side, you have Ahab and you have 950 false prophets who worship false gods and then the confrontation is coming so you can feel it's being built up everything that's happened that God has been training Elijah in obscurity through refining through testing has now come to this point and we're going to leave it there as a dun 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 next time we're going to come back to the showdown which is probably the temple story of Elijah that people know about but we'll look at that but building it up that God has orchestrated this now that actually we'll see who really is God is it Baal or is it the Lord? And we'll have that smackdown and we'll have that showdown. So we'll come back to that next time. So let's look at some application points, what we're going to learn from this for us. So there's three things I just want to take through to point out to hope us, help us sort of earth some of this, ask some searching questions of ourselves, and then we'll finish off by looking at Jesus. So first point, following Jesus means waiting. 
Following Jesus means waiting. In this particular passage, we've got two godly men, one who's been outside Israel, one who's been in Israel in the midst of it, right in the center of everything happening. You've got Elijah and you've got Obadiah. And both of them had to wait. They had to wait for, the, for what God was going to do. Elijah had been sent to a foreign land. He was living with a pagan woman who had turned her heart to the Lord, but he was in that. He was in the center of Baal worship. He was in that place in Zarephath, and he was outside of where he would have been. He wasn't with his covenant people. And then you have Obadiah, who's right in the midst of everything that's happened, trying desperately to serve the Lord in the midst of an ungodly society, an ungodly boss, and everything he would have been around. That's what he was trying to do, and they had to wait. They had to wait for the Lord to move. And all they could see around them was things falling apart. The drought was was getting more severe. The famine was taking effect. Animals were dying. People would have been starving. Food would have been scarce. It would have been a horrific time, but they had to wait. And it is not uncommon for the people of God to wait. In fact, I would say it is common for the people of God to wait. If you go through Scripture, a cursory look tells you Abraham was promised a son. He had to wait 10 years. Moses was the deliverer of God's people. He spent 40 in the wilderness, 40 years. David, we've mentioned David, the king. He was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. He didn't sit on the throne for another 15 years. Even the Lord Jesus himself had to wait 30 years before he started his ministry. Waiting is not uncommon for the people of God. They all had to wait. And I don't know about you, but it's, I find it hard to wait I find it hard to wait. In a world where everything seems to be getting faster and more instant, whether that's the provision of our food or our shopping coming to our house, advertisement constantly is telling us you can have it now. You don't even have to pay for it. Why wait? There are exercise plans and diet plans that just can happen in weeks and days where you can get what you want. The beach body, drop a jean size, lose however many pounds and weight. It all happened so quickly. They all promise things fast. Now, if you've ever dealt with children of various size, I think one of the hardest things to tell them is to wait. It's not go to bed, clean your teeth, tidy your room. I can negotiate them. It's when you just have to say, just wait. It's like you're pulling teeth. They just, when I was, I actually had incidents when I just said to them, can I have a drink, Daddy? Yes, just wait. And I had a child on the floor. Like, the the agony of waiting was a physical response. They just couldn't cope with that. And you're just like, I said yes. I just, I just, it takes time to actually, you know, get the stuff. And, And you're just like, oh, heavens. We laugh, but we're like that, aren't we? We're like that. The fruit of the Spirit, which we did with the kids, there was a song. They go in order, don't they? Love, joy, peace, patience. God is so wise. He sticks it in there. He sticks it in there. It's like, you need this, guys. You really need this. You need patience. So I'm going to put it in there alongside love and peace and joy and all the other ones. And so I ask you today, are you waiting for God to do something? Are you waiting on the Lord? Are you in prayer, in faith for something, and you kind of, you want to see it, but it's just not happening in the way that you want, or even in the timing you want. Because I've recognized in my own life, you might find it the same, that my timing is always different to God's, and I'm convinced mine's better, you know, every time, but 
it's different. God's is just longer than mine, and I don't like it, and so I have to get used to it. For me, I guess one of the most significant things in my life was when God spoke to me about leading a church, uh, and I was young then. I was in my early 20s, and I had some prophetic stuff, and I had this sense of, oh, God, this is right, and it didn't. I worked it out. It was over, it was over 15 years before it finally brought to fruition, and there were false starts, and there were roundabouts, and all the time God was refining me and getting me ready, but he didn't give it to me straight away. I had to wait for it. And so my question, I guess, is how are you doing in the waiting? How are we doing in the waiting? How are you doing? Are you staying faithful to Jesus? Are you staying humble before him? Are you still serving? Are you fighting bitterness and unforgiveness? Are you reminding yourself that his timing is perfect and his purposes are good? Because we'll find out as we read on in the story that what God does in the nation of Israel and transforms it is amazing. But people had to wait. And so I want to suggest to you that through this season that we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep worshipping Jesus. We keep coming to him. We keep reading our Bible and praying. We keep gathering with the people of God. We keep praying with the people of God. We keep being part of community. We read things that remind us that he's good and he's gracious and he's kind. And he will work things out in his timing for his good, for our good and his glory. We need the grace to keep waiting. Second thing, following Jesus means doing the right thing even when it's difficult. Elijah, uh, he was asked to return to Ahab. If I'd been Elijah, I'd have had a few follow-up questions to that. Elijah just seemed to go. He was obedient. But if, if I was in that position, it's like, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> it's Ahab. He's trying to kill me. Obadiah. Again, go back to Ahab, confront him, talk to him, tell him Elijah's here. And Obadiah did what I would have done. I would have probably brought more wailing. You want me to go where, do what? But they both did the right thing. They were both obedient to the word of God, even when it was difficult, even when it was hard. And so the challenge for us here today is, what is God asking you to do? What are the right things in your life that God is asking you to do according to his word? Are there things that he's challenging you about that you are just putting off because they're difficult, because they're hard, because you don't know how it's going to turn out? Are there areas in your life, in the areas of serving? What about getting baptized? You haven't got baptized. What about giving financially of what God has already given you? What about speaking up in difficult situations? What about leaving a life of integrity in your home and in your workplace? What about living by different values of the world? Because we live in a world that worships Baal, so to speak, not the living God. How about that? How are you doing in confessing sin and walking in integrity and humility alongside others? Maybe it's a moment for you to just take a time and think and actually what is God asking me to do that I am putting off, that I'm not being like Obadiah and Elijah and actually responding in faith even when it's difficult and when it's hard? Because ultimately those things will work out for blessing for you. It did for Israel. It did for these guys. When they obeyed the Lord, good things happened. But it was hard. It wasn't easy. Last one, following Jesus means we will be falsely accused. Those who faithfully follow the Lord, faithfully follow the teachings of Jesus, faithfully follow what the Bible says, will be falsely accused. You will be lied about, your character will be called into question, you will be blamed for things going on, just like Elijah was, even though in this situation he wasn't responsible at all. One of the verses that was reminds me as I was preparing this that you never find on Facebook or Instagram or Tells says this, 1 Peter 4.2. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
I dare you to post that tomorrow on social media. See how many likes you get. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Okay. As though something strange were happening to you. The reality is, followers of Jesus, we will be falsely accused, lied, and mocked about. It's just, that's just the way it is. That is our lot. You just have to look one brief look at church history and you will find hundreds, thousands who were in that same boat, many of them murdered, killed for their faith because they wouldn't deny Jesus and people wanted them to shut up and sit down. And we're in that position now. And I just, for it to be well with us, oh, we just need to make peace with that. That's going to happen. That's going to come. And in those situations, we call on God. We rely on God. We, we look to him to bring justice, not ourselves. We're not there to bring revenge. He'll do that. He'll do that. We are to keep following. We are to keep obedient. We are to keep going. We are to keep waiting. And so, looking forward to this week, we've got the prayer meeting on Tuesday. Please come and join us. It'll be online. It's a fantastic time to come together just to worship, to bring our prayers to God. We've also got the well-being journey. Catch up, join in, get plugged in, and always keep our eyes on Jesus because that's where we're going to end. Jesus is a better Elijah. Jesus is a better Obadiah. Jesus is the one who confronted the powers of authority that stood against him. He's the one who waited in obscurity for 30 years before he started his God-given calling. He was the one who followed the Lord faithfully, even in adversity. He lived out and proclaimed God's word perfectly, although he was continually misunderstood, rejected, lied about by his family and his friends. And even these lies and this rejection ultimately led to his death, being falsely accused in a courtroom. He confronted powers and religious authorities, but ultimately was triumphant. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is a better Elijah. Jesus is a better Obadiah. And that's wonderful for us because we can put our faith and trust in him when we go through these difficult situations. Do you want to stand with the band? Come on, I'm just going to leave us in a little bit of prayer before we finish. I think it'll be, it's an opportunity for us to do a little bit of business with the Lord. And then... We're going to worship him together. Just want to just close your eyes and open your hands. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that through this situation, as we process today, I think it's good to take things away, think about, but I also think it's good to do business with God in the moment. I think there's a moment where God comes and he can unlock situations, transform hearts, change minds, do all those things. And I think we have a moment now, a little bit of a space. It's just us, no distractions. I just want to pray and lead us in that together. So maybe you just want to open, close your eyes, hold your hands. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the things that you need to deal with or face up to in this moment. I'll walk us through it, but you probably already know now what they are. There'll be some of you here who are waiting. You're waiting for God to move in a situation. You've been waiting for months, for years, decades even. And you're just, God, come on. And I want to pray for you today that you would not lose faith, that you would not lose heart, that your faith would be renewed and restored, and that you would endure in the waiting. And if you know that's you, maybe you want to just make some commitment to God and just recognize it. Recognize it's hard. 
No one's denying that. But actually, you're going to keep going in the waiting. You're going to stay faithful like Elijah and Obadiah. You're going to stay faithful and keep going. But there's some of you who are just finding following Jesus hard. You've got to make some big decisions. And actually, if I do this, if I stick my neck out, if I say something, if I act like this, if I make that decisions, it's just going to be difficult. There's going to be consequences. And if you're in that situation, I want to pray for boldness and courage and faith. And if you need that and you want that, ask God now. You ask him to help you in that situation, to do what's right, even when it looks tough, even when the unknown is terrifying in front of you. And for there's some of you who have been or are going through being falsely accused for your faith or things you've done or people are misrepresenting you, speaking evil about you. I want to pray firstly that you recognize that that's not abnormal. It's not nice, but it's not abnormal. But actually, Jesus has been through it all himself. He knows where it lies, and he can bring peace. He can bring strength. He can fortify character that you stand firm in that time, and you don't return uh, evil for evil, hate for hate, but actually you love those who persecute you. You speak well of them. You honor them, even when it's tough. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray you come fill us now for that. I'm just going to leave a moment, and if anything of that has resonated with you, I'd love you to do your business with God right now. And you speak to him, you pray to him about what you need in this situation, and then I'll just wrap it up and hand over to Christy in the band. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are always with us. We want to thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we thank you that all we endure, all we go through, you too have been through. So you understand. You empathize and you sympathize. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that your heart is for us. God, and we pray as we move forward from this place, whether we're waiting, whether we're finding it hard to follow you and make good decisions and make the right one with tough consequences, or we're facing opposition and hurt and pain. God, we pray as your people that you would give us grace to keep moving forward. You'd give us grace to keep our eyes on you, to keep loving you, to keep focusing you, to not give in to unforgiveness or bitterness, but to stay strong in you, knowing that one day all things will be made new, all things will be turned around, all things will be made right, Lord, and we look forward to that day in the future, Lord, where there'll be no more waiting because it will come. The kingdom will have come and we will see you face to face, Lord. As your people want to say, we love you and we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.